Father, we just thank you for this morning and we just lift this time up to you. Father, we want to lift up Frank and Trish and we would just pray that, uh, God, you just reach down and touch Frank just with your healing power. That, Lord, you are the great healer. And so we put him in your hands. We just pray that you give strength to Trish, that uh, she cares for Frank. And as they go through this journey together, that, Lord, they can feel your presence. Help us to be there as friends and family, to just be someone to lean on, to cry with, and just to be with. Lord, we just do lift up those in the congregation that uh, are struggling with whatever illness that they may have. That, Lord, we just uh, lift it up to you. And so this morning, we also pray that you just be with us as we look at your word. That, uh, Lord, we always want to be true to it. We always want to teach what's right. And so just open our hearts and minds to hear what you would have us to hear. And we thank and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 this morning. And I even asked him to print this out. It's just a few of the notes that I have on some of the words that are that are in Colossians 3, and we'll get to that, but I thought you might like to have that as handy. Um, but we are going to be chapter 3, but um, Daryl, if we could give us the slide there real quick. I put up a slide of, we're, since we're in Colossians, this was written to the people in Colossae. And as you can see, today it actually is part of Turkey. And at one time, Colossae was a very vibrant, busy metropolitan area and the reason for that is partly because uh, they were right on a trade route and their their big claim to fame was black wool and dyes and um, the book was written most likely from prison in Rome and Paul was writing it to the Colossians even though the city the trade route had changed and Laodicea became more important in Colossae and things began to, to dwindle in Colossae, um, Paul still thought it was important to be able to write this message um, to them and what was going on there. And so, and I don't know, I just returned um, from Mississippi from um, my mom's funeral and I can kind of identify, looking at some of the towns there, how they've dwindled. Because at one time, before the freeway system, there was, a high, there was Highway 51. It was two lanes. And it ran through all the small towns that you go down through in Mississippi. Well, they put in a new freeway, 55. And it was a couple of miles from most of those towns. Well, what happened? All the businesses moved towards the freeway. Some succeeded, some didn't. But the small towns basically just kind of dwindled to almost nothing. Uh, A lot of empty buildings and it just, you know, and that's kind of maybe what was happening in Colossae because the trade route changed. And so no longer did you have businessmen and tradesmen and stuff coming through there like you had before. And the other thing is mostly Classe was Gentiles, but there was a fairly large section of, of Jews that lived in Colossae. And all the activity, like we said before, began to center around Laodicea and not Colossae. Um, 
And what was happening was false teachers and mainly Gnosticism. And it basically was beginning to infiltrate the church. And so they, just to kind of give you an idea, they basically were saying that um, the matter or our bodies, they're just evil. But the spirit is good in simple terms. And so they were saying, if you sin, it doesn't matter because you're sinning in the body. So that's not a big deal because the spirit was good. And that real life lived in the spirit and not in the body. So the Gnostics claimed to have an elevated, kind of elevated knowledge, as you might say. And that they had a higher truth than what came from scripture. And um, I just heard one today and that I made a note in my notes. <laughs> Transcendental meditation. You know, it kind of supposedly puts you on a higher plane, and that's something that happens today. And this all started back in the late 50s and the early 60s with with uh, Guru. It kind of comes out of Hinduism. But it's like, this is how you can find peace. This is how you can find a higher understanding. And so the Gnostics, that was they were infiltrating the church. And... They claimed to possess a higher knowledge and not from the Bible, but acquired some mystical higher plane. Gnostics see themselves as having a deeper knowledge. And mixed with all this, then you also had Jewish tradition. You You had Jewish legalism. They were saying you had to follow the dietary laws. You had to follow the the festivals. You had to be circumcised. You had to do all of this. Not only do you have to receive Jesus Christ, you have to follow all these other rules. And we know that's not true. And so Paul wrote this letter to them and he said, said that, You don't need to do this, basically. And we're going to go through the first 17 verses of Colossians 3. So if you want to turn to chapter 3, we'll start in verse 1. And it says, Colossians 3, 1. Since then, you have been raised with Christ. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Now, the first part of the verse shows that (coughs) that you have put your faith in Jesus Christ. It says, since. Some translations say if, but it actually is better translated since. Since. So you have been raised with Christ. So we know we're confident, and that's what he's telling the Colossians. You're confident that you have been raised with Christ. We read in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. We have a shared life with Jesus Christ when you come to know him as your Lord and Savior. Romans 6, 3 through 4, or you don't know that all of us who were baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. So while Jesus was raised and sits at the right hand of the Father, we too will be raised and live in glory with him. And that's the perspective we need to have as we're looking forward. 
Now, the second part of Colossians 3.1, set your heart on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. The people addressed in the letter were getting all wrapped up in the false teachers and they were, and, and what they were saying. They were for, focusing, blah, focusing on things that they had to do, like legalism or excusing their sins. Since they were done in the flesh, they were stepping away from the true gospel of Jesus Christ. We are to focus on Christ and the things above, not on the earthly things. I mean, you think about, you know, in tradition, and I've said this before, tradition. There is nothing wrong with tradition except what? When it replaces God's word. When it becomes more important than God's word, that is wrong. And the other, excusing sins. And this has been a habit in, in present day, you know, 19th, 20th, 21st century. Um, can think of a church that would, would, sue, would sell absolution. You know, you pay the church enough money and they'll absolve you of whatever sin that you have. And, you know, that is not, our sin is absolved by putting our faith in Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. So let's pick up in the last part of verse 1 and verse 2. Set your hearts on things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Verse 2 says, set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. And this is a continuous action. This isn't a one-time thing. We should be doing this day in and day out in the renewing of our mind. Set your heart on things above. Set your minds on things above. And like I said, this is ongoing. It never, never, never stops. Matthew 6.33 tells us, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. So continue to focus on things above, because we can really get wrapped up in what's going on in this world today. So early, early in this chapter in Matthew, Jesus was telling them, why are you worrying about what you wear, or what you drink, or what you'll eat? Seek first his kingdom. We need to continually set our hearts and minds on the things above, and that will affect how we do things on earth. When we focus on him above, it'll give us new perspective on the people and the things going on in this earth today. And you think about it, that as you pray for your leaders and the politicians and the people that are around you, that the spirit can move and affect them greatly. And... You know, that's, you know, if people feel they need to go out and protest, that's fine. But let me tell you, there's nothing more powerful than the Spirit of God to touch people's lives. And that's what we should be doing, is praying for our leaders. And if they don't know Christ, we should be praying that they come to know Him as their Lord and Savior. So again, I just want to reiterate, this is a continuous action, renewing our minds and our hearts. You should continue to set your heart and mind on things above. By doing this, we can understand Romans 12, 2, where it says that we are not to conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but we, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And in Philippians 4, 8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think about such things. Now, we could just stop there, and that's good information, right? But I like verse 9. Verse 9 says, 
Put it into practice. Put it into practice. That's important. So how do we do this? Well, we can read. We can read scripture. We can study scripture. We can memorize scripture. As this is the most reliable information that we're going to get about God. And there should be no excuse that we shouldn't be able to do this. How many have a smartphone? How many have a tablet? How many have computers? Scripture is at your fingertips. It's at your fingertips. Back in when I had brown hair and a 32-inch waist, (laughs) I had to make sure I had a Bible in the car or something. And yes, I did used to have a 32-inch waist. So... So that's the thing, is we need to be reading and studying and understand Scripture. But, as Paul said in verse 9 of Romans, put it into practice. Colossians 3.3, 3, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ and God. And I know some of you are probably sitting here and just saying, I know there's donuts and coffee out there, and I feel like I've died already. Just get me to the donuts and coffee, but trust me, we're going to get there. So what this, but this verse is saying is that we have died to this current world, even though we're still here. Galatians 6.14, may I never boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. When we came to know Christ as our Lord and Savior, a death took place at salvation. We've died to sin. Christ took our place and conquered death. And the last part of the verse, life is now hidden with Christ and God. People who do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they cannot see that life that lies ahead. It's hidden to them. But we'll live in eternity with him. We know that. We can see that. Scripture promises that. All they can see is this life. But we know that we'll be raised with him and the newness of life. And I sometimes wonder when, you know, and it really should be an urgency to share the gospel with other people because what do they have to hope in if they don't have Jesus Christ? What do they have to hope in? And, you know, I see some of the things going on with the young people today. And, you know, it's just because of what the world has been feeding them. It's not their fault. What they need to know is that there is hope. There is hope in Jesus Christ. And we're the ones to carry that message. We're the ones to carry that message. 1 John 3, 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we will see him as he is. What a great, what, I mean, that's an exciting time to look to. Believers in Colossae already had a glimpse of the spiritual life. These are the true believers that are there. And didn't have any need for the false teaching, and that's what Paul was writing about. God promises us security. He tells us in 1 Peter 1, 4, in Hebrews 7.25, and in John 28, he says, which says, I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Never perish. No one can snatch them out of my hand. No matter what happens, when you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, 
you are secure in knowing that God keeps his promises. Colossians 3, 4. When, notice it says when, not if, when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you will appear with him in glory. Um, The announcement mentioned that we have men's Bible study on Saturday morning at 7 o'clock. We're currently studying Revelation. And we've just barely begun to touch the surface. We're in chapter 7. But going through that, you're beginning to see, you know, what is going to transpire. Um, So if you're interested, guys, Saturday morning, 7 a.m., that's a selfless plug there, I guess. So we have coffee, we have donuts, which I know are not good for you, but we have coffee and donuts, we have good fellowship, and we have good opportunity to, to talk and discuss revelation. So there will come a time... When everyone will understand and no longer will it be hidden. Everyone will understand. We'll understand it because we have Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. But what about those that don't? What about those that don't? But we'll realize it on the day of the second coming. To me, that's exciting. And I'm going to read just briefly for just a few verses from Revelation. Revelation 19 I saw heaven standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is faithful and true. With justice he judges and wages war. His eyes are like blazing fire, and on his head are many crowns. He has a name written on him that no one knows but he himself. He is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. And if you go back to John 1, 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Let's continue on to Revelation. The armies of heaven were following him, riding on white horses and dressed in fine linen, white and clean, coming out of his mouth as a sharp sword with which to strike down the nations. He will rule them with an iron scepter. He treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. That's exciting to me. That's exciting. So let's also look at 2 Timothy 2.19. The Lord knows those who are his. The Lord knows those who are his. And everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. Everyone who confesses the name of the Lord must turn away from wickedness. So we need to stay centered on Christ. We should not allow the things of this world to cloud our thinking and how we should be or act. Don't be distracted by the news. We can get so wrapped up. I mean, you can just feel the anger sometimes when you're watching the news and you just see something you don't like and it just goes boiling up in you. And you, you know... I have to admit, sometimes I yell at the TV. It's like, what are you thinking? I mean, come on. But don't let it distract you. Don't get distracted by life and work and bills and traffic. I mean, I always like to say sometimes it's like, Lord, give me green lights all the way to church. And then evidently, what do I get? Red lights all the way to church. You know, it's... But you just got to go with the flow. There's no reason to get angry at that. 
So now that brings us to the next part of chapter 3. How do we stay centered? What do we get rid of in our lives? You know, and Scripture is going to help us with that in verses 5 through 17. And this will kind of give us how we're not to be and how we are to be. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, whatever belongs to your earthly nature. And then it lists. And I had I asked him to print out uh, these things that we're not supposed to do and the things that we are supposed to do. So you've got some notes in front of you. But it says, whatever belongs to your earthly nature, sexual immorality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. And it calls greed, which is idolatry. And we'll look at that a little more in just a moment. We're literally to put these to death. Yield to the Holy Spirit. Paul battled this as, we, as, as he mentions in Romans 7. I want to read, I'm not going to read all of that to you, but just this small part. He says, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate, I do. So Paul struggled, just like you and I do every day. We struggle. However, in verse 25, he says, thanks be to God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. That's our anchor. That's our rock. That's what we can, we can be secure to. So in a moment... And we've read some of the things we should not do or put off. We'll also look at some of the things that we should put on. And the first list of sins, um, first list of sins that do cause us trouble as believers. However, the list we see in the chapter are not the only ones. So don't take this list, the one that you have in your hand, take it home, put it in the spreadsheet and start checking them off and say, okay, I'm good. I got those 10 gone. Because trust me, this is not an exhaustive list. But I think there's the ones that Paul wanted to point out to the Colossians when he was there. So let's look at this a little closer. Sexual immorality. The Greek is pornea, where we get our word pornography. Pornography refers to sexual sin. And 1 Thessalonians 4.3 tells us it is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality. Now, I would never tell you what movies to watch, what TV shows to watch. That's something that you need to decide for yourself. Does what you're watching, what you're doing, conflict with what Scripture tells you? Uh, that's up to each person that they need to examine their lives. Um, but, you know, Satan is very patient in how he tempts people. It can start very innocently sometimes. He doesn't lure you in quickly. But a little look here and a little look there. And now you want to see a little more. And with porn being so easy accessible on the internet today, you can easily get hooked. It's predicted that virtual reality porn will become a huge problem and more addictive than pornography that we know today. So guard your hearts and minds. Set your hearts and minds on the things above, not on the earthly things. Impurity. And the Greek is akathasia. And there's an A put in front of that, um, with the, in front of the word, and it makes it a negative, and it translates filthiness or uncleanness. 1 Thessalonians 4, 7 tells us, For God did not call us to be impure but to live a holy life. 
Remember that many times sin starts in the mind. Oh, I can look as long as I don't touch. Not. Satan is slow in tempting us, like I said before. It can start very small and very innocent. I only looked once. Then the stare becomes a little longer and a little longer and a little longer and could lead to something more. Most of you probably know the story of King David and how he had an affair. And by going out on his balcony and looking down and seeing this young maiden or young wife bathing out in the open and one thing led to another. And so we had adultery, we had murder, we had lying, all from that. So be careful. And I don't know how many of you know, Vice President Pence will not be alone with a woman that is not his wife. And the mainstream media mocked him for this. They really mocked him. But you know, this is a good rule of thumb, especially if drinking is involved, because drinking does lower your inhibition sometimes, and you may do things that you normally wouldn't do. And so we just need to be careful in those areas. Pray about what God wants you to do. So the, the list progresses, but here, here's where our minds should be. Here's where our minds should be in Philippians 4, 8. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is admirable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. Because trust me, Satan wants you to think about a whole lot of other things. Next one's passion or lust. Depending on the translation you have, it could be translated either way. And the Greek pathos is the sexual passion set loose in the body. Passion and lust, that's physical. 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, not in passionate lust like the heathen who do not know God. And in Romans 26, it was so bad because of this, God gave them over to their shameful lust or shameful passions. Same word. Evil desire. This is the mental side of lust. This is the fantasizing. Where passion is the physical side of lust that has to be acted out. And we saw in 1 Thessalonians 4, 5, both words used together, passion or lust. And evil desire. This is where you begin to see, you know, the desire for someone else that is not your mate. Um, You know, especially if you're married or what it's the evil desire and it begins in the mind and it begins to fester and it can lead to it can lead to adultery it can lead to rape um and many other things because the mind as you begin to focus on this begins to take over so remember think on the things above the next one is greed or covetousness and the greek is pleonexia that word just sounds bad to me um, pleon meaning more and exo to have. So to have more, this is a greed that can't be satisfied. Do you think some of that's going on today? Greed that can't be satisfied. James four, one through two says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Don't they come from your desires that battle within you? Don't they come? <clears throat> You want something, but don't get it. You kill and you covet, but you cannot 
have what you want, you quarrel and fight. And you could be, you know, it just depends on what is controlling your life. Because that greed, that uncontrollable greed becomes idolatry. When you're focused on what you don't have but want, this replaces God and becomes your idol. This desire could be another person besides your spouse, more money, more ambition, more power. And you always, what's the cliche? Power corrupts. And it does. It's hard. It's hard to control when you, when you get power and to be in a position over, you know, lack of a better term, over other individuals. You feel like you can do whatever you want. Greed. I want power. I want more money. I want whatever I want, and it consumes you to the point that is all you can think about. That I, I just need to have. I need to have. I need to have. Ephesians 5, 3 through 5 tells us, But among you there must not be a hint of sexual immorality, or any kind of impurity, or of greed. Because these are improper for God's holy people. Nor should there be obscenity, foolish talk, or coarse joking, which are out of place, but rather thanksgiving. For of this you can be sure, no immoral, impure, or greedy person, such a man is an idolater and has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Those are things that, Back when the nation of Israel split and you had all bad kings in the north and only about three good kings in the south. But everything revolved around idolatry and just getting more and more in power. And I want to give you a little class in marketing 101. Um, before I retired, I, was, I did a lot of work in sales and marketing. And this is something that holds true no matter what, but this is kind of marketing one-on-one. And most marketing focuses on five things. And you think about the TV you watch, the radios you listen to, the print ads you get, the direct mail you get. Uh, These are the five things that most marketing focuses on. One, sight. Just think about the commercials. Sex sells. How many commercials do you see sex in or or? Something that relates to sex when it really has nothing to do with, with the item they're selling. But just make note of some of the commercials. The other one's sound. And Gary will like this. There is nothing like the sound of a Harley on the open road. I mean, you hear that and say, i got to have one of those. Smell. When you go to the movie theater, what do you smell? Popcorn. You think that's unintentional? I don't think so. Um, And then, not so much today, but used to be a lot of times the scratch and sniff direct mail. You know, like for perfume especially. Um, And taste. And Eric, Costco wins the prize for this. What's in almost every aisle at Costco? Food samples. If you taste it, you might buy it. And then, what's the touch? Touch. What's famous? What do car dealers know if they can get you to do what? Test drive. If they can get you to test drive, they have got you 95% there. And those are the five things that marketing focuses on when they're marketing to you. They, are, they know, they've studied. And you know what? 
Satan uses those senses also. And in a moment, we're going to look how we're to overcome that temptation and guard against it. So let's go on. Colossians chapter uh, chapter 3, verses 6 through 7. Because of these, the wrath of God is coming. You used to walk in these ways and in the life you once lived. So just like the Jews, when they turned their back on God and they suffered exile because of all the turning their back on God, not obeying the law that he laid down and the idolatry that they were just steeped in, they became exiled. And guess what? Those who don't know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, they'll suffer exile or better terms, the wrath of God one day. But for us, those that know the Lord, these are the things that we that that we used to do. These are the things that we used to do and we should no longer do. I know we're not perfect and we do sin. Yes, we do. But the difference is we don't continue to sin habitually. If we get convicted by the Holy Spirit and guys in the morning Bible study have heard me say this before. I always say it's like that little guy that taps you on the shoulder and says, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, you shouldn't do that. That's the Holy, to me, that's the Holy Spirit tapping you on the shoulder and saying, you shouldn't do that. Um, We can get down on our knees. We can confess that sin and he is faithful to forgive us. We knew, we knew what it was like to live in sin. And now that we've turned our lives over to Jesus Christ, we don't have to live like that anymore. We've got the power of the Holy Spirit living within us that can help us against that temptation. And we should, want to re- we should not want to return to that lifestyle. We should not want to be slaves to sin. And sometimes it is hard to break free, depending on what you're, you're battling. Now, many of you know my wife teaches a class for uh, a home for sex traffic girls. And one of the things is it is very hard to break that lifestyle. And they've, many of them have gone through drug rehab and that by the time they get to generate hope. But it's been so ingrained into them that sometimes they do end up leaving and going back because they felt like even though the person who was pimping them out or the gang, even though they were cruel to them or got them hooked on drugs or they just felt like they were being taken care of, but you know what? There are, there are success stories that generate hope. And Generate Hope is a faith-based organization. So these young ladies do hear the gospel and do come to know Jesus Christ as their Savior. And they can know what it is to break that old lifestyle and enter a new lifestyle. And that's what we want to do. We want to break that old lifestyle. We want to break that sin that's taken over our life. And turn it over to Jesus Christ. And it really is freedom. It's not a set of rules. Do this. Do that. And you're no longer slaves to sin. When you turn your life over to Christ. And I know sometimes. And this is where tradition becomes dangerous. You know is that. Oh we do that because that's the way we've always done it. Or you're not really. You're not really truly a Christian. If you don't do this. And that's what we have to guard against, is setting up these arbitrary rules that 
are to take over our life. If we truly have committed our life to Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, our spirit will convict us when we know we're doing something wrong. That little tap on the shoulder. Then Paul goes on with a second list, list of sins. And again, these are not exhaustive. So if you get these checked off, you're not done yet. So just always continue to focus on your heart and your mind on things above. Colossians 3, 8 and 9. But now you must rid yourselves of all such things as these. Anger, rage, malice, slander, and filthy language from your lips. Do not lie to each other since you have taken off your old self with its practices. Now these sins are very visible. The others can be hidden for a while. These are very visible. And rid yourself literally means to take off your old clothes. Really, that's what it's saying. Take off the old. And in this case, off your dirty clothes and get rid of them. And I mentioned I was in Mississippi just recently. My mom had passed away. She was 93 years old, lived a good long life, loved the Lord. And um, first time in a long time, our whole family had been together. There's six kids plus uh, wives and all of that. And so... Uh, we got together, but one of the nephews told this story, and I thought it was, I had never heard this one before. But it says, um, he goes on to tell about being at my mom and dad's for the summer, which sometimes they did. They went down there because my dad had um, basically raised beef cows in retirement and had big pasture and all that, and so they would go down there and... The day they were going to leave, my mom got them all cleaned up, got them all dressed and ready to go, but they didn't have to go to the airport for a few hours. And they decided they were going to take the ATVs out one more time for a ride before going to the airport. Well, they came back, and when they came back, my mom went outside and she stopped them in their tracks. They were not coming in their house. Do you know why? They were muddy from foot to head. She says, you are not coming into my house like that. She was an immaculate housekeeper. And she gets out the garden hose. You know where this is going, right? She gets out the garden hose and she hoses them down. She cleans them up before they can come into the house. And that's like us. When we turn our life over to Jesus Christ, his blood washes as white as snow. He cleans us up. And we are able to enter his house. But not until we put our faith in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. So let's look at the second list. Anger. Greek orga is a deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. This anger that talks about. That's what that is. A deep, smoldering, resentful bitterness. And James 1, 19 through 20 tells us believers are to be slow to anger. For the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Anger is one that, that I've had to, to give up to the Lord and work on over a few years. And my kids will tell you that sometimes I had a pretty bad temper. Um, but I've done much better as I've gotten older. Uh, but they'll be the first to tell you, yep, dad could get angry. Um, rage or wrath. The Greek thumos means a sudden outburst of anger. And I always think of road rage when I, when I read that. Think of the, but there's another one. Think of the fires in California 
where there's a lot of brush. We just had the fires up near Santa Barbara, and it just moved so fast. That, it's just a certain outburst. And, it just, and some of you remember the Cedar Fire that we had here. It was like half the county was on fire and how fast that fire moved. But it started, it was quick, it had fuel, and it just quick and it gets out of control. And that is an anger, that is a rage we do not want to have within inside of us. Malice, Greek kakia, means a general term for moral evil. Go out of your way to make someone look bad for your own personal gain. That's really kind of what it boils down to. That you do something and I, immediately I think of politics. It just, I mean, there is so much malice in politics. Um, Titus 3.3, 3, at one time we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. We are no longer to be like this. When you come to know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Those are things that you should be taking off. And no longer participating in. Slander. The Greek is blasphemia. Where we get blasphemy. And normally it's interpreted blasphemy when it relates to God. But when it's used about people like us, it's usually referred to as slander. Not that we see much of that today, right? Yeah, not true, unfortunately. James 4.11, brothers, do not slander one another. Um, I told the guys, and I, maybe even on Monday nights, that J- Book of James is one of my favorite books. It just uh, it really cuts to the heart. I mean, it really has some practical advice and things that that we should do and should not do. The next one is filthy language or abusive speech. And it could be translated foul-mouthed abuse. Ephesians 5, 4, there must, must be no filthiness and silly talk, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving thanks. James 3, 9 through 10, with the tongue we praise our Lord and Father, And with it, we curse men who have been made in God's likeness. Out of this same mouth come praise and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. You're going to praise God on one hand and turn around and curse someone else. That should not be. shouldn't be coming out of the same mouth. That's why I said, read James. It's a great book. I mean, it, it really will cut to the heart. Colossians 3, 9 through 10. Do not lie to each other. Since you have taken off your old self, taken off those old clothes with its practices and put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge and in the image of its creator. It says, do not lie to each other. When you lie, you're basically partners with the devil or Satan. When you lie, you are imitating Satan. That hurts. How can we love one another if we continually lie to one another? A trust breaks down. Um, I, was in, I was in sales for quite a while. Um, had a sales force that I managed. It went from the Mexican border to the Canadian border. And they were out there on their own, unsupervised, because obviously I couldn't be in all, the, all, all those states at one time. And I always told them, I will trust you until you give me a reason not to. Um, so don't lie to me. 
I don't care what's going on. Don't lie to me. Because trust will break down and it's hard to get that trust back. John eight forty four. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. Double ouch. So don't lie to one another. Now, we may not always like the truth. And I don't mean don't tell the truth to be abusive. Don't, <laughs> don't do that. But, you know, don't intentionally tell lies. And the last part in verse 10, renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Well, how do we do this? Well, some of you look at me and you probably say, I think he's 30 or 35 pounds overweight. And you would be right. My doctor keeps telling me that. But, you know, what if I went out and I bought every DVD, every exercise book, I know where every gym is in San Diego County, and I watched those DVDs, and I read those books, and I memorized those books, and I can write, recite all those recipes and all those exercises I'm supposed to be doing. I've got them committed to heart. What's missing? Action. Yes. Action. I got that word right there. Action. Very good. Putting into practice all that we've learned. If you learn something but never use it, what good is it? You know, you can be a spiritual giant, but if you haven't put it into practice, what good is it? So Paul gives us another list, which is a much better list. But Paul gives us another list that we're to put into practice. We're to practice, 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 not just memorize. And first he starts with cultural aspects of how we're to be. He says in Colossians 3.11, here there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Now, the Jews hated the Gentiles or the Greeks. And trust me, it was vice versa. The Greeks hated the Jews. And, you know, it's kind of like being a Charger fan and a Raider fan. You don't like to be in the same stadium together. But they really hated each other, and the Jews looked down on the Greeks. But false teachers were telling people they had to be circumcised and they really couldn't be saved if they hadn't been circumcised, that they had to add that as part of Christianity. And these were serious racial barriers that between the Jews and the Greeks. But then he goes on and um, he talks about the barbarians and the Jews and the Greeks thought they were better than the barbarians. These were lowly educated people. Uh, and they thought they were better than the barbarians. And they're all living in Colossae. And then we go on in the Scythian. Known, and they were known for their savagery. I won't go into detail some of the things that they did. But they were pretty savage people. And they were all living. So there was neither slave nor free. And you know the small book of Philemon. Um, there was the slave who ran away. Onesimus. And what did. What did he say? He says, Onesimus was a runaway slave. He was not to be a slave, but his beloved brother. That's what he's telling Philemon. Onesimus had come to know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior, and he sent him back to his owner. And Paul says, I will repay anything that he may owe you. 
but treat him as a brother, treat him as a beloved brother. They put their differences aside, and if they knew Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, fellowship as believers. So you got Greeks and Jews and barbarians and Scythians all fellowshipping together. There should be no cultural barriers, no racial barriers, no income barriers. We are all one in Christ. And that's another one that James tells us about as far as like money. You know, if the poor guy comes in, you want to scuttle him off to the corner and, you know, you sit here. But a rich guy comes in and, oh, you sit here. And, and James says you shouldn't do that. We should all be treated equal. So there should be no barriers. So Paul goes on and then he outlines the clothes that we should put on as Christians. Colossians three twelve through 13. Therefore... And what he's saying, therefore, and like, you know, what we've looked at before in light of all of this, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, patience, bear with each other, forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another, and forgive as the Lord forgave us. Get rid of those filthy clothes and put on the clothes which he outlines, the new clothes. First, we're chosen by God. And secondly, we're holy, meaning set apart or separate. We are set apart from those that are wearing filthy clothes. It doesn't mean we don't share the gospel with them. It doesn't mean we're better than them. But we don't get down and wallow in the mud with them. Second Peter 3.17, Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, which we have been, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless. So here's kind of, and on the back side of the notes, here are the new clothes. Compassion. Compassion. Some translations say heart of compassion. This heart is translated referring to your guts, like your heart, your lungs, your liver, your kidneys. That's what it's referring to. You know, you ever, you ever say, you know, I feel this in my gut? Well, that's kind of, you know, it's everything. So meaning it's having a deep gut level feeling of compassion. Think about some of the things you see going on around the world. Does it move you? Are you callous to it? Hunger, pain, suffering of others. I read stories every day of the horrors of sex trafficking between the posts I get and the emails I get. And it just, it's enough to break your heart. But I also read the compassion for, that people have for reaching out and helping those that are being trafficked. There's an organization that's called Our Rescue, and they deal mostly in foreign countries. And they go in, and the, the leadership goes in, and they find the the government officials that they can trust and they build in a relationship and then they build sting operations to go in and free these kids from sex trafficking. And I mean kids. I mean some as young as four and five years old. Um, but, you know, these pe- and you don't know who these people are. You know who the leadership is, but you don't know who the people are in the stings and they're going in and working these stings to me and putting their life on the line. Because some of these countries are not very safe where this is going on. To me, that's compassion. And then kindness. This is a moral goodness. A kind person is a concerned person who is not only concerned about his own well-being, but also his neighbor. 
Just think of the Good Samaritan. The Good Samaritan gave up time, money, and never expected anything in return. That was kindness. And that comes out of Luke 10. Humility. The term always carried a negative connotation because the Greeks didn't believe in humility. But it was brought to the forefront by Christianity. It elevated humility to a higher level. And this doesn't mean you have to be a doormat and let people walk all over you. But Paul says in Ephesians 4 to be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. So don't be haughty and be willing to do for others even if they can't repay you. That's why I always say if you do something for someone, do it anonymously. That way they can't repay you. Gentleness. Willingness to suffer injury instead of inflicting it. Share the burdens of others when someone is caught in a sin. Scripture tells us to restore them gently. 2 Timothy 2.25, for those who oppose him, he must gently... Those who oppose him, he must gently instruct in the hope that God will grant them repentance, leading them to the knowledge of the truth. We are to share Jesus Christ, not beat him over the head. God will work on him. But by being abusive is the opposite of what we're supposed to do. Never compromise the gospel, but don't use it as a hammer. But we are responsible for sharing the good news. Patience. I think probably a lot of us struggle with this. I know I have. Don't get angry with others. If God were not patient with us, we may never have been saved. 1 Peter 3.15, bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation. Just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. We're to pray for our loved ones, our family, our friends. We're to share the gospel and allow God to work in his time. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise. So let's move on to Colossians 3.13. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Three times it says in there, forgive, forgive, forgave. Bearing with one another. We're to endure against persecution, threats, injury. Without retaliation. Paul wrote to the Corinthian church. What was the Corinthians doing? They were suing each other. They were taking each other in the court. And we shouldn't do that. We should bear with one another. The Lord's paid a price for us. That we can never repay. He forgives us of our sins. And we're to hold on to those things. That we should let, let go of. And the Lord forgives us. Colossians 3.14, and over all these virtues, put on love. So after all of those things that he's already said, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. And this is the final piece of the clothing. This brings the ensemble all together. You're styling. You put on all those other things, the compassion, the kindness, and it's all wrapped up with love. That's what he says, it binds together. Galatians 5.22, but the, spirit of, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, which is the first one mentioned. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. 
And then we all know what 1 Corinthians 13 says. And the last part of 13 says, now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. And Colossians 3.14, and over all these virtues, the ones mentioned earlier, over all these virtues, put on love. And let's just look at the last three verses real quick. Let the peace of Christ rule in your heart, since as members of one body we were called to peace. And be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom. And as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. The peace of Christ should drive us to get along as we all have the same spirit. The spirit that was in John the Baptist, the spirit that was in Peter, that was in Paul, that was in Stephen, that's the spirit that resides in you. Having the peace of Christ helps us to live without having arguments. So what clothes are you wearing? Do you need new clothes? Do you need to be hosed down? Hopefully not. (laughs) To be more like Christ, we need to pray. We need to study scripture. We need to read, read scripture. But most importantly, we need to put it into practice, those things that we study and read. What good is it to become a spiritual giant and we don't have the virtues mentioned above, all put together by love? Then Paul adds the last part of that, and be thankful. Verse 16, let the word of Christ dwell. And that can be translated to live in or to be at home in you richly as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom and as you sing psalms, hymns, spiritual songs with gratitude. And gratitude can also be translated as thankfulness or grace. Verse 17, and to paraphrase, whatever you do, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God. So take off the old clothes, put on the new clothes, and let God's word abundantly live in your heart. When you leave today, do you need new clothes? Pray about it. But I challenge you this week, Colossians is a short book. It's four chapters. And I challenge you to read it every day for seven days when you come back next Sunday. And just pray how God would use his word in those four chapters to help you put on new clothes. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for your word and we just praise you for the God that you are. And God, again, we just want to lift up those that uh, are ill. Father's being stricken with such devastating disease. The Lord, your healing hand would just touch them and heal them. Lord, we thank and praise you and just be with us as we go from here today. And it's in Jesus' name, amen.